Well, 10 years ago this coming week, an 85-year-old woman in Alaska got into a fight of her life with a giant moose. Her name was Dorothy, uh, the woman, not the moose. And, and she and her husband, George, decided to take their dogs for a walk. They were going to drive to a local airfield where they would walk their dogs every once in a while around this plowed airfield. So she got in her truck while she waited for her husband to get the dogs. And that is when her husband noticed this massive moose. Uh, George told a reporter, the moose was way off. He spotted me and he started to come right after me. So I was trying to get to the truck, but I didn't make it. And the moose caught George, knocked him down and started stomping on him in the snow. Fortunately, his five foot tall wife, 97 pounds, remember 85 years old. She grabbed a shovel from the truck, started attacking the moose to get it to stop. She took swing after swing. It continued to stomp on her husband. Finally, after one real hard hit with the shovel, it caused the moose to turn away from her husband. Dorothy hit it again as hard as she could, and the moose ran away while one of the dogs chased after it. Her husband finished the fight with the moose with seven broken ribs and a six-inch gash on his forehead. Dorothy, of course, not one mark. The next day, when George woke up in the ICU, he at first thought the whole thing was just a bad dream, and then he saw the hospital ceiling, and he realized it was real, and he also realized his wife saved his life because she was willing to not run away from a fight. Well, in life, we all encounter fights. Even if you are an incredibly peaceful person, you try to avoid any sort of conflict. You are going to come into a fight sooner or later. We, we all encounter fights. What if I told you today that your greatest fight is against yourself? It's you versus you. And what if I told you that the big question is whether you face those fights head on or you run? Will you get a shovel out of the back of the truck and just swing and swing until you've won, you've saved a life, or will you just pretend that the fight is not happening? You, unfortunately, are often, I would even say always, in a fight with yourself. Who will you be? What will you do? How will you live? And again, the question is, will you face that fight head on or will you avoid it? The series, we're going to look at six different fights going on inside of you all the time. And what I will just tell you right now, each one of these fights is over a lie. There are some things that you believe about yourself or you believe about other people, you believe about God that are not true. And the fight that you're in is won or lost on whether or not you live a life committed to the lie or live a life committed to a much better truth. And even as I say that, and we put that up on the screens, that sounds like an easy fight to win, doesn't it? Just tell me the truth now, and, and once I know it, I'll be good to go. But it's not that easy. Because even when we know the truth, most of us have fallen for a few lies. Now, the Bible would suggest that there's a reason for this. That there is an evil one in the world whispering lies into your ear all the time. And John 8, says this, when he lies... He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. By the way, every time I read that passage, I think of this moment right here from Elf. Best Christmas movie ever. But it is not just Will Ferrell, right? Jesus tells us there's an evil one who invented lies, and his favorite thing to do is to tell them to you. 
But this series is not meant to focus on that enemy, the one who's doing the whispering. It's meant to focus on the lies themselves, the ones that you and I fall for. In, in, in fact, let me say, if you have a hard time believing that there even is an evil one, an enemy that's out there whispering to you, that's okay for the purpose of this series. Whether or not you believe he's real, because you don't have to believe in the liar to have fallen for a lie. And that's why we're calling this you versus you. No matter how the lie got in there, got into your head, it's there. And you can either fight it or you can run away. And as we begin, let me tell you right away, most of these lies involve negative self-talk. Um, do, do you know what I mean when I say that? I, I, I read a book last year that describes this negative self-talk. It's called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. It, it gave some great examples. Um, negative self-talk is you telling yourself things like this. In fact, I'm going to give you a few. You, you decide if you've ever said this to yourself. I don't deserve to be happy. Or um, bad things always happen to me. Or even if I, I keep a positive attitude, things still fall apart. Or opportunities are limited for me. Or, no matter what I do, everything always ends up the same. Or, there's nothing for me to get excited about. Or, it's a waste of time to work on me. Or, good things never last forever. Or, if something is too good to be true, it is. Do any of those ring a bell? You ever hear those in your head? Those are just a few examples of negative self-talk that goes on in our brains. And, and if you commit to those things, or, or I, I should say this, when you commit to one of those things, because most of us have committed to at least a few, and when I say commit, I mean you're convinced they're true and you live by them. When you commit to them, you find yourself living in something completely contradictory to the life that you could have in Jesus. It's not that you don't know better. It's just that subconscious commitments get made to these wrong things, and the lies win. But it doesn't have to be that way. You could choose differently and commit to what God has for you instead. But to do that, you've got to be able to identify the fight going on in you between the lie and the truth. Oh, if only you could identify the fight. Well, the good news is, each week of this series, we're going to show you two different things that are battling it out inside you, and then we're going to help you know which one to choose. And today, I want to talk to you about a fight in you that causes you to struggle with your identity, your pride, your, your, your self-esteem. I, I want to talk to you about a fight in you over how you feel about yourself. Um, I want to show you a verse. It's real simple. You saw it in the video we played earlier, Psalm 139, 14. We're going to just put this up. Would you read this with me? We'll all just kind of read it together, okay? I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. All right, in this passage, David writes, every single one of us is a work of art created by God that you are wonderfully made. And I bet if I asked how many of you believe that, I, I bet a bunch of us would say, yeah, I, be I believe that. It's, it's true. Um, we have sayings about this, like God don't make no junk. You've heard that, right? Or God doesn't make mistakes. Most of us believe in our heads that we have value. We have worth. Yet, did you know it's been estimated roughly 85% of people in the world have low self-esteem? When I use that phrase, self-esteem, I'm talking about self-confidence and self-worth and self-respect. How do we in our heads 
think that we are wonderful creations of God and then still think that we're not all that great. By the age of 17, 78% of girls are unhappy with their bodies. More than 90% admit to feeling pressure to look a certain way, or they say that they would change something about how they look if they could. Now, the good news is that unhappiness with your appearance goes away once you hit your 20s and your 30s, right? Certainly by your 40s. Ladies, does that go away? Of course, it's not just women. This includes men as well. And how you view yourself affects everything from your job performance to your happiness and your relationships. In fact, one author suggests the disease of addiction is as much about low self-esteem as anything else. That most people addicted to any mind-altering substance, the universal common denominator is how they feel about themselves. And can I just be honest with you? I don't know that the church has done a good enough job of addressing this. Yes, we address it with our teens. Um, I'm really proud of our student ministry pastors around here. They dig into this, but with adults, I mean, the church is kind of a place where we pretend we like ourselves. Because pretending we like ourselves is how we show that we have arrived, that we've been successful, that we are now transformed. Um, I didn't used to like myself, but now that God has gotten a hold of me, look, I can be proud of me again. I am so much better. Church is a place we pretend we don't have low self-esteem. Even when the church tries to talk about this, we tend to screw it up. For example, one, one church in South Carolina put an ad in the paper for a low self-esteem support group that they were offering, and this is what they wrote. Take a look. Low self-esteem support group, 7 to 8.30 p.m., Eastview Baptist Church, use the back door. <laughs> so the Bible tells us that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we all agree with that, but 85% of the people in this room struggle to feel like we are anything close to wonderful. And there are a lot of things people say cause this, but if I can just cut to the chase, underneath all of those negative feelings about yourself are usually two things. L let me put them up on the center screen. Two things, approval and security. And actually, I'll, I'll rephrase that. It's our want for approval and security. Now, let's just talk about those real quick. These are two core desires in every single one of you. The desire for security, universal. Let's call it what that is, the want to survive. We do everything we can to make sure we will survive. So with that comes financial security, job security, housing security, relational security. The want for security, survival, safety, it is core to every single one of you. The other core desire that goes with that is approval. You desire to be loved and liked and wanted and valued and appreciated. You want to be respected and to belong and to be a part of something. And here's what you may not realize, and this might be an aha moment for some of us. Your desire for approval comes from your desire to survive. Think about this. Somewhere in your brain, you think, if others approve of me, they won't kill me. And since security or survival is your deepest desire, then your strategy to get there is approval. If I gain approval, I will last longer in this world, in my job, in my marriage. I'll last longer at my school. Your need for security drives your need for approval. Now, you might think, well, that's not me. I'm confident enough in myself that I don't believe the approval of others is what will make me feel secure. Oh, yeah? Really? 
What if I told you some of the most celebrated people in our world, the most successful set for life, already secure in their financial place, the ones I'm talking about are millionaires, really, secure in their relational place, secure in their jobs, their housing, those people are still driven by a need for approval. Who am I talking about? Let's talk about the NBA. <laughs> Rick Barry, who you know if you grew up here in the Bay Area, right? He played eight years with the Warriors, 15 years in the NBA. Rick Barry shot 89.9% from the free throw line. That is remarkable to hit 90% of your free throws. But he also had one of the weirdest free throw shots in basketball, the underhand shot known as the granny style shots. You all know the granny shot, right? Now, when he was asked why he shot free throws this way, Barry said this, from a physics standpoint, it's a much better way to shoot. Less things can go wrong, less things you have to worry about repeating properly in order for it to be successful. Okay, but here's the deal. It's not cool <laughs> in any way. Even just calling it a granny shot is like humiliating for the person who decides to shoot this way. I should be careful. No offense to the grandmother sitting in here listening right now. Uh, grandmothers are cool. The granny shot is not. I remember being on the playground in elementary school, and if someone dared try to shoot like this from the free throw line, we mocked them endlessly. What are you, a granny? And yet, the stats don't lie. It seems to work better than the more familiar, cooler-looking, traditional free throw. Well, in 2008, Discover Magazine asked a physics professor what he thought, and, and the professor agreed. He said, okay, well, the 45-degree the arc angle and the natural backspin that comes from that, they both increase the odds of the ball going into the net. All right, now here's where I'm going with this. Wilt Chamberlain, former NBA great who holds the record for the most points scored in a game. Anybody know what that is? 100, 100. He scored 100 points once in one game. Okay, Wilt Chamberlain once tried the granny shot out. Over his career, Chamberlain only made 54% of his free throws. Kind of pathetic. But on March 2nd, 1962, when he scored his 100 points, guess which style he used on his free throws? He used the granny style approach, and he hit 28 of his 32 free throws. That's 88%. Okay, chances are really good that for most players, shooting underhand, granny style is a much better strategy. Then why don't mo more players use this free throw style? And then why did Wilt Chamberlain give it up even after it got him to 100 points? Well, Rick Barry proposed a real simple answer. Because players are too embarrassed, or they are too proud, or both. And he said, it looks silly, and most players would rather miss shots than look like a granny and score more points. Once again, no offense to grannies. Grannies, we love you. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how successful you are. You can be in the top 200 people in the world who do what you do. Everyone is driven by a need for approval, even when we don't know it. Get this, um, they did a study of NFL referees, uh, specifically NFL referees' late hit calls. So you know, in case you don't, a late hit is when a player with the ball is already out of bounds and you tackle them. You can tackle them on the field, but once they're out of bounds, you cannot tackle them. That's a penalty, right? Well, sometimes that can be a tough call for a ref because bodies are flying into each other and in the sideline, there's so many people standing there and it all happens so fast, so the refs have to make a judgment call. Okay. A researcher measured how often the call 
goes in favor of the team whose coaches are standing. By the way, I love that picture. <laughs> uh, I miss those days. Okay, a researcher measured how often the call goes in favor of this team whose coaches are standing right there on the sideline where the penalty is taking place. And get this, he found that refs are much more likely to make calls that please the people who are standing nearby as opposed to please the people who are on the other side of the field. Essentially, the refs, whether they know it or not, care a lot about what the coach or the players standing next to them think of them. All of this is about our need for approval. And, and I wonder if you might be able to identify in yourself right now where you might see yourself pining for the approval of others. Now, here's where this gets into a lie and the fight that's going on inside of you. Most people believe and are committed to the belief that the security and approval that they want is out there. What I mean by that is that there is someone or something that those two things are dependent on. If I want those things, it's going to be because of somebody or some circumstance that happens out there. And, and I'm going to give you a little cheat to help you know if you are committed to this idea that it's out there. It's when you find yourself saying, if only this, then I would have that. So like if only my boss would appreciate me, then I would have the sense of approval that I need at work. If only my clients would commit X, Y, Z to me, then I would have the security I need. If only my, my kids would obey me, then they would be more secure, and then that would make me more secure. If only I would lose weight, then I will have approval. If only the president would deliver on his promises. If only Congress would sign this bill. If only Congress would stop this bill, then I would have security. If only my spouse or partner would stop drinking, then I could be secure. The way you know whether or not you're looking for approval and security out there is by looking at whether or not you say, if only they do this, then I will get those things. And what I will tell you this morning is that so many of us are committed to the false idea that our needs for security and approval are going to come from out there. And you have got to fight that because it's a lie. And I want to show you the truth. Galatians 1.6, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and he's got a problem. Paul has been accused of trying to change his message to please people. Um, other religious leaders have started telling people, Paul has dropped all of the legal requirements of salvation, the laws that ancient Jewish people used to keep. And they were telling people, be careful of Paul, he's a heretic. He just tells people what they want to hear. He tells the Gentiles they don't have to be circumcised or, or obey the Sabbath and, and who knows what else. And he does it because he's afraid that they will reject him. Paul is all about approval. And so the people hear this and they start leaving behind the idea of grace. That they don't have to earn God's forgiveness. That he gives it to them in spite of their ability to obey this law. That they actually start leaving behind the grace of Jesus for a rules-based system. So Paul writes here, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Gospel means good news. He says, you are turning to a different set of good news, which is not good news at all. Keeps going, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now, here's what I want you to see, verse 10. 
am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul has been accused of abandoning the law to please people and get their approval. He's an approval seeker. And here he says, I am not trying to please people. If I were trying to please people, I would never have left my life as a Pharisee to become a follower of Jesus. If you haven't been able to tell by all the persecution, they don't like us too much. Now, what Paul says here is that he seeks approval not from people, but he finds it in God. And this is the fight that is happening in you right now. Yes, you need approval. Guess what? I'm not going to tell you today that you don't need approval and security. You do. You were made that way. But the fight going on in you is where or whom you need it from. And if you spend your life thinking that it's going to come from out there, it will leave you continually wanting and feeling like if I only had this, then this would be better. And what Paul tells us here and in other places is that we are not created to please people, but rather God. God who is consistent, reliable, trustworthy. God who wants the best for you and will give you real security and real approval. God who won't just up and decide that you are not performing well enough. God who isn't going to make fun of your granny shot. Jesus who is committed enough to you that he went to the cross to prove it. Romans 5.8 says, even while we were still sinners. Think about that. You can search for approval and security from out there, from others whose approval is very conditional, by the way, right? But the fight that's in you is to recognize that you can choose instead to commit to a truth that God demonstrated his love for you in this, that while you were nothing but sin, Christ died for you. I'm not here today to tell you you don't need approval. I'm here to tell you you've been getting it from the wrong place. You can commit to getting approval from others or you can commit to getting your approval from God. Now, we could leave it there this morning. But I have something more to tell you that I think could change everything in your life. Um, I grew up in church where I was told this thing that's up on the screens right now. Uh, you could seek approval from out there or you could seek it from God. Choose God. And I believed it and I set out trying to do that. Every choice I made, uh, or at least most, were about trying to win God's approval. I don't care what other people think. I, I care what God thinks. I, I don't want to please people. I want to please God. But no one told me the best part. Really, it took many, many years for me to learn the best part. You ready for the best part? If your life is a quest for security and approval, I'm going to tell you something that should be the most freeing thing in the world. You already have it. If you have begun a relationship with Jesus, received his grace, you already have it. The real fight that is going on inside you. In this corner, we have, I want approval and security from others, from somewhere out there. And you would think that what's fighting against that is, I want security and approval from God. But it's not true. Even that is a lie in your ear. Because what's really in this corner is the truth that you have security and approval from God. You have it from Jesus. 
See, the lie being whispered to you is that you're missing those things, that you lack them, and you should spend your life searching for them from others, searching for them from God, earning your way to his approval. But the truth is that through Jesus, you already have them. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. That word justified is a fancy word. Here's what it means. That you have been judged by God as morally upright. That he's looked at you and stamped approved. That he has declared you righteous. How can that be? How can that be? I know me. I am so not approvable. It can be because of Jesus. This is the gospel. I mean, this, this is the good news summed up in one statement. God loves you so much that Jesus went to the cross to take your sin and make you approvable. And we gain access to that approval by faith, by giving our lives to following Jesus, by trusting in him. And the fight in you is over whether you live thinking that you are lacking approval or whether Christ's work on the cross was enough to give it to you. Whether you commit to live knowing that you already have it. Let me tell you, that fight can be so hard. Philip Yancey tells a story in his book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace is the name of the book. He tells a story about C.S. Lewis. And he writes this, he says, during a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world decided what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. And they began eliminating possibilities. The incarnation, other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions had accounts of a return from the dead. Okay, this debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. And he, he asked, as a British person from back then would, what's the rumpus about? And, uh, and he heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, it says everyone had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seemed to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist Eightfold Path the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love and acceptance unconditional. See, this fight in you is a hard fight because everything in our world, including religion, tells us we need to earn our approval. But Jesus is the only one who says, oh, you already have it. You ever lost your keys and you start looking all over the house trying to find them? And, and by the way, this always happens when you're late for a meeting or appointment, right? It, it's just frantic searching and it's making you later as you search. And, and at some point you start blaming your family. Where are my keys? I know I put them right here on the counter and now they're gone. Who moved them? Who picked them up? I'm late because of all of you. And you start to get to the point where you're ready to tell your kids and your spouse that you will be returning all of their Christmas presents because if they are this irresponsible with your keys, they don't deserve your gifts. And then you reach into your pocket and you find your keys and they have been there the whole time. All right, here is the truth. 
we all live like this, frantically and frustratingly searching for something we already have. You already have all of the justification, security, and approval that you need in Jesus. You have everything you're looking for out there in Jesus. Your fight is over what voice you will commit to. The one that whispers, you need them to like you. Your survival depends on it. You don't want to do anything that's going to embarrass you. You need their approval. If only they would give it to you, then you would have all that you want. Or the one that says, you have no need to be ashamed. You are approved. You are loved. You are wanted. You belong. And I have proven it at the cross. What if you already have approval? What if you are already totally secure and safe? And your survival is guaranteed. What if you are totally approved of, loved, accepted, wanted, and valued just as you are? What would it be to stop listening to the lie that you are missing it? You have it through the grace of God. I, I think you would see that your life would start to look different. Instead of being driven by fear, you would be driven by You'd be driven by creativity. And you would live with the sense of completeness that God has been wanting you to live with. I think part of how we fight this lie that we need approval, we need security, that we don't have it yet, is we have to continually remind ourselves of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And on your way in, you were offered communion in these little self-serve cups. Um, if you could get those out, uh, I'll tell you the wafer on, is attached to the top underneath the wrapping. They're a little different, but you'll find it. And Hannah is going to come lead us in a song. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm not going to have you stand yet. I'm not going to have you take the, the elements just yet. But I want to invite you to just take a moment. And there in your seat, on your own, as she sings, would you just bask in the truth that if you have decided to follow Jesus, you've asked his forgiveness you've received his grace, you are approved. Would you let yourself feel that right now as she sings? And then after you've had a few minutes to do that, I'm gonna lead us in taking the elements together. Would you listen to this?